Hylion is another one of those companies that, along with Tesla, Nikola, and a few others, have a polarizing effect on shareholders and consumers. There seems to be about an equal number of supporters and detractors. And that can make it difficult to get good information upon which to make educated decisions about the technology and the company. Whether you love it or hate it, Hylion's natural gas-powered electric range extender truck, called the ERX, is in the final stages of development and testing. The company says it'll be coming to market later this year. Is it a viable alternative to pure battery electric? Will it help us to get through the transition from diesel to some other form of zero-emissions truck? Let us know what you think in the comments below. In just a moment, you'll meet the guy behind the ERX, Hylion founder and CEO Thomas Healy. If you haven't already, please give us a like and poke that subscribe button. And in case you're new to the channel, there's lots of great trucking industry coverage on HDT's website, truckinginfo.com. This is HDT Talk Trucking. I'm Jim Park. We'll be back with Thomas Healy right after this. Scraper Systems by Right Height is North America's leading name for automated rooftop snow removal from truck fleets. Safely clear 24 inches of snow and ice in less than 30 seconds. Scraper Systems fleet plows help reduce winter risks, protect your brand, and get your fleet on the road quickly after a snowstorm. Machines are available to ship today. Contact scrapersystems.com for more information. So we're here at uh, Hylion Incorporated's uh, manufacturing facility in Austin, Texas. I've just gotten out of my first truck, my first ride in an ERX truck. Uh, with me now is Thomas Healy, the CEO of Hylion. He was my guide on my first test drive. Thomas, thanks a lot for the ride. It was a really eye-opening experience. No, thanks for coming down here again. This isn't your first time to Hylion, but it's second uh, rodeo here at yeah, Hylion. But it's your first time in an ERX. So. Indeed, it was. Uh, first no, time so. I was at this building, it was still wide open under construction, just open doors. So you've come a long way in that four to five years since I was last here. Now we're even in a phase of we're expanding even more. We just have <laughs> rented the space next door as well, or something. Oh, it's so. a good way to be, right? Yeah, no, it's. I mean, things are. Things are great. I mean, the momentum towards electrification is uh, is there. And, you know, as we get further and further into this shift of going to electric, people are realizing that this journey isn't as easy as they thought it was going to be. And uh, costs are difficult. Infrastructure is difficult. And I think our solution really shines where those are the things we're solving for. Well, the thing I think is rather elegant about this solution, and I'm not hyping it here necessarily, is your you, you bring all the benefits of a battery electric vehicle to the table mm -hmm. without the problem with the infrastructure. Your infrastructure is under the hood. Right. Now, we have some issues with natural gas, at least some people do. Uh, we're overcoming those or getting people over that hump. Mm -hmm. But you basically, I can buy one of your trucks tomorrow and go down the road at zero emissions, save for the uh, electricity required or the natural gas required to produce the charge. Right. Yeah, and, I mean, a few things within that. So one is, you know, natural gas, right? And uh, for anyone that's in the industry, I think people know that's, uh, that was a difficult thing about a decade ago when people mm -hmm. tried adopting natural gas vehicles. They found that vehicles were underpowered. They, uh, drivers didn't like them. If you had a lot of diesel trucks and, uh, uh, you know, a parking lot of diesel trucks with natural gas trucks out there, everyone was going to jump in the diesels first and your nat gases were going to be sitting there, right? 
that's not the case with our vehicle, right? Because the reason drivers didn't like natural gas trucks is because they're underpowered, right? That was the biggest issue. Now, there were some maintenance issues back then, too. Those mm -hmm. have been overcome. But, uh, yeah, as you said, we can give you that higher horsepower, higher torque than the diesel even has. But, yeah, we're doing it with a range extender that runs on natural gas. Well, you can see that in the test drive video. But the natural gas engine is not driving the truck. Right. So, as you said, the traditional power complaints and the – their performance complaints that some drivers had with it are not issues because there is no direct connection between the flywheel on the natural gas engine and the drive axle. Right. Yeah. That all goes away with the battery. Yeah, if you think about, I mean, when we were looking at the truck uh, standing next to it, if you just look at the rear axles, if you look at the frame rails and where the batteries are mounted, that looks identical to a BEV plug-in truck, right? There's even a plug there. Showed you. So uh, that's all the same. Now, granted, we have a much smaller battery pack than a lot of BEV trucks do, because our goal is not cram as much energy into the pack as possible and uh, and get as long of a range. Our goal is more just the batteries there, kind of as a buffer. And uh, and so then you add this the power plant under the hood, and you know to start off, we're using that gas, and we've laid out a roadmap where over time we can evolve into hydrogen. Uh, we think that that's really going to be the right solution for over-the-road trucking. I, I think, uh, my, uh, my hypothesis on this, I think we'll get to a point where we can drive 500, 1,000 miles off of a battery pack. But the problem is the grid's not going to be there to support the recharging of it, and fleets aren't going to want to pay for the grid to recharge these vehicles either. And that's going to slow down the implementation of BEVs, which ultimately is not going to do us any favors, is it? Right. We yeah. want them as soon as we can. Exactly. And I, and I mean, I don't see that the grid is changing all that quickly, right? Uh, you know, I think we've got a long ways to go until we've got uh, consistent, renewable electricity uh, to be able to power things uh, like electric semi-trucks. And uh, and then even just to actually build out the chargers. I mean, it's it's big, big money. It's millions and millions of dollars uh, to, to put these chargers in place. And fleets aren't going to pay that. No, it's a little bit different than getting your Flying J fleet card and going about energy procurement right yeah. yeah diesel trucks you got no infrastructure costs right you just buy the truck and you're you're Where going you go. yeah yeah well natural gas is kind of in a regulatory limbo right mm -hmm. now um carbon and epa don't seem to like it that much I'm trying to push people to bevs at the expense of diesel of course uh where is natural gas on the long term, I mean, is it going to be around 10 or 20 years from now? Do you think the regulators are going to accept it as a good alternative to diesel and a quicker pathway to battery electric? Or is it just going to be a no-go? Yeah. So I I, I don't see a, a future of the country where we're not heavily using natural gas, frankly, uh, at least for many years to come here. And so from that standpoint, we should be using it in semi-trucks as, as well. And in terms of, you know, from a political environment, is it being accepted or not? Uh, I think there's been some very strong proof points specifically recently with, that have shown solutions like Hylions are being accepted. So you look at the Inflation Reduction Act. Our vehicle qualifies for the same exact amount of money as a BEV plug-in truck qualifies for and a fuel cell truck qualifies for. So to me, that means, you know, we're kind of federal, you know, push is saying, hey, use a Hylion system just as much as they you know want everyone to use BEVs or fuel cells. And then uh, out of California specifically, the ZEV credits, you know, our vehicle is going to qualify for 75% of a credit versus a, a plug-in truck would qualify for 100%. So, all right, they're saying, hey, we're not quite as, you know, as good as a, a plug-in, but you're close. And 
and then, you know, and this can be a whole, we could spend hours talking about this one, but, uh, you know, my pet peeve is I think we need to really look at things from a well to wheel standpoint, like this whole philosophy of, oh, it's just what comes out of the tailpipe is all that matters is, is so wrong, right? It, you know, of a philosophy, if, if you're going to use a coal fired power plant or a petroleum based power plant, even to, uh, to charge an EV, you're not doing something positive for the mm-hmm. environment. Well, with natural gas, especially renewable natural gas. Uh, a lot of people don't make that distinction. And I think the natural gas word conjures up images of fossil fuel, methane yep. venting into the night, and what have you. Renewable is carbon negative in most cases, sometimes extremely carbon negative, especially when you draw it from landfill or manure ponds or what have you. But you still have the traditional emissions, NOx and particulate matter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing the regulators are dead set against. But Natural gas is already, was it 80, 90% cleaner than diesel yeah. at that stage? So, I mean, what more do you need to do to prove out natural gas? Yeah. So, and maybe if I can just step back for any you know viewers that aren't familiar with RNG, because up until a handful of years ago, I wasn't either. This, It's basically a way of using what would have been pollution uh, and using that as a fuel on board the vehicle to run the truck. So, uh it's basically capturing methane that would have come off of landfills, wastewater treatment plants, dairy farms, and taking that methane and pumping it into the pipelines to use it as a a fuel now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically it would have been pollution. So it was going to go off into the atmosphere as a a harmful, uh, you know, chemical, but, uh, but instead now we're going to use it to run a truck and what comes out of the tailpipes a lot cleaner. And so that from that standpoint, that's, what's giving us this ability to be net carbon negative because if it had just gone off into the atmosphere, that would have been worse for the environment than what's coming out of the tailpipe. So from that standpoint, I mean, you, that you know, if you're below zero from an emissions standpoint, uh, I don't know that you can really beat that one, right? Uh, so, uh, and you know, if you look at the grid, only only about twenty percent of the grid is coming from renewable sources right now. So, uh, you know, it's such as uh, wind, solar, and hydro. So, we think RNG is makes a tremendous amount of sense. Uh, Thomas, when it comes to natural gas and, and various credits that fleets and OEMs are looking for, we don't really have a cap-and-trade system in place yet. It's coming, but OEs are certainly concerned with credit. Mm-hmm. Are they going to get the credits they need to build a truck like yours? Uh, or In fact, where will the credits go with a truck like yours? Is it your credit or is it the OEM credit? Does a fleet get any credit for buying a truck like that? It's a great question. So. The credits we've been focusing on have been the two CARB mandates that are coming out. So there's the Advanced Clean Truck, which is the mandate being put on the OEM, and then there's the Advanced Clean Fleet, which is the mandate being put on the trucking fleet. So Advanced Clean Truck, uh, and by the way, both of these, why wouldn't you call them different things, right? But uh, both of these uh, qualify for ZEV credits, but some of them go to the OEM, some of them go to the fleet. So our goal is these credits are going to the OEM, not to Hylion, and similarly going to the fleet and not to Hylion. So for the one, the OEM mandate, we qualify for 75% of a ZEV credit. So just a little bit less than a plug-in vehicle or a fuel cell truck. But for the fleet mandate one, we're actually going to qualify for 100% of a ZEV credit based on how it's written today. So for fleet, there's n- you know no, no greater benefit of going to a plug-in truck over our truck. Do you hear many fleets talking about or expressing concerns that natural gas isn't going to be around in 10 years if the regulators have their way and make it go away? I can't see it happening, but there's talk, right? I, I can't see it happening either. And one of the things actually I I've envision being an issue coming up here is there are these big pushes to move to electric. And 
fleet excitement is there. Like every fleet you talk to is saying, yeah, I want to try this. I want to be a part of this ship. Shippers are pushing it too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, companies are coming out with, you know, saying, hey, I need to hit this, uh, you know, net zero by 2040 or things like that. Right. So the, the push is there. But we're now in that phase where like, the the rubber's me in the road kind of a deal, right? And uh, and it's I don't think it's going as swimmingly as uh, as some you know people expected in the industry. Of uh, fleets are getting in and into these trucks, they're seeing range issues with plug-in trucks, they're uh, they're seeing infrastructure issues. So you know what what this is I think making the uh, the trucking world see is that we have to be very very thoughtful as to where these types of vehicles get deployed. Deploy a BEV plug-in truck in an inner-city application where it goes home at night, it can plug in, doesn't need a super-fast recharger, makes total sense. That's where that truck should be used. Over-the-road, long-haul trucking, you need a solution like ours or you need a hydrogen fuel cell truck. But you know what we're finding is fleets are really struggling with that infrastructure question as well as the cost of operation question. And those are two things that using a nat gas range extender truck, you have significant benefits there. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see fleets being very resistant to adopting a fuel cell truck until costs come down and infrastructure gets built out. Yeah, well, they're what four to six hundred, six hundred thousand for a fuel cell at this point. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's only what eight of them around, maybe, but uh, they're <laughs> yeah, not cheap, are they? Yeah, the trucks cost a lot more, right? And, and maybe just as a high level. So what we've seen. Uh, rough numbers. Our trucks, and this this all is inclusive of uh, the IRA credits that are coming out. But uh, what we're finding is a fuel cell truck will come to market five six hundred thousand dollars. A BEV plug-in truck is going to come into market at around the mid four hundred thousand dollars. Our truck we're expecting or it is going to come out uh, to be in the high three hundred thousands. And and so when you compare it against a diesel, all of us are more expensive, right? I mean, uh, yes, diesel truck prices have gone up a lot, but still more expensive. Yeah. Then what you need to look at is, well, what's the cost of operation going to be? And so for a fuel cell truck, hydrogen, hydrogen costs are around $10 a kilogram or $10 a, a gallon ballpark uh, right now. Plugging into the grid and recharging will be around $4 a gallon. Using renewable natural gas will be in the dollar range. So we're not only going to be uh, significantly less than the other alternative fuels, but we're also significantly less than diesel from mm-hmm. a fuel cost. So what we've seen is if you just run the math of kind of upfront vehicle cost and then you extrapolate out what's your fuel cost over time, you'll see about a, uh, a three-year ROI with our solution compared to a diesel. You talked earlier about migrating to hydrogen as well, uh, first with a internal combustion hydrogen engine of some sort and eventually a fuel cell. How far out is that? Yeah. So in Highland's point of view. Yeah. So we've laid out a a three stage roadmap. Uh, So the first is a natural gas IC engine. That's the power plant on board. Step number two is the Carnot generator, which is a new fuel agnostic generator we just acquired from GE. And then step number three will be to go to the fuel cell uh, solution. So the Carnot, or I'm sorry, I'll start with first the IC engine. So that's going into start of production late this year, or late 2023. We're almost in 20. Late 23 is when it goes into production. We then expect a few years after that is when we'll uh, we'll release the Carnot solution in production. And then on fuel cell, we haven't put a, a timetable to it yet. But what we have said is like, our goal is by the time that infrastructure is built out, by the time fleets are really moving over to hydrogen and really want a hydrogen solution, we'll be able to have a fuel cell solution ready by that. Okay. With all that being said, though, 
we actually see the car node generator as being one of the biggest differentiators for us because not only can it operate on uh, about 20 different fuels, it can also operate at a much higher efficiency than an IC engine and actually then even a fuel cell can operate. So from that standpoint, we have a we will have a, uh, a hydrogen solution with the Carno as well. What is a Carno generator? Sounds like a hundred mile an hour carburetor to me. <laughs> Flux capacitor. Uh, Flux capacitor. Yeah, yeah that no, crossed it, my mind. <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, when when the engineers are explaining it to me, it feels like that. But uh, no, it's it's actually really neat. So it's a it's a linear heat generator. And uh, and so what it is, is basically... Okay, I'm checking out right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it brings fuel in. It can bring in that gas, can bring in hydrogen. It can bring in conventional fuels as well, like diesels. And, uh, and then what happens is it uses that fuel to produce heat. And then that heat drives a linear generator, which has an electric motor in it to produce electricity. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's the genset. So... Okay. This technology, first off, like linear generators, not a new new thing. They've been around for many, many decades. But we acquired it out of GE, and there's two things that GE really advanced on it. The first was we actually use the same fuel injection technology that's used in the GE aviation engines, the jet engines. We're using that in this. Uh, so efficiency-wise, it's fantastic. Okay. The second benefit is it also uh, has components that are made through 3D, manuf 3D additive manufacturing, so 3D printing. And so from a, like efficiency standpoint, we can rethink the way that some of these components are designed and get much better performance out of them as opposed to conventional manufacturing. So you couple those two things together, and now you've got a solution that is fuel agnostic and has a very high efficiency. A uh, couple of questions about the truck uh, while we've got Thomas's expertise here. Um, the storage tanks and batteries on board. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got the worst of both worlds here in terms of weight. Uh, how do you justify the two of them? And, and roughly, what does that truck weigh? What's the curb weight of the truck we were driving earlier? Yeah. So we're still locking in what's going to be the actual go-to-market weight of the vehicle. So we haven't come out with a number yet, but to put some ballparks to it. So... Uh, it will be heavier than a, uh, a diesel truck uh, yeah. because, as you mentioned, we kind of have both systems. Uh, but we're expecting that it is going to be lighter than uh, a conventional BEV plug-in truck because we're not needing that massive battery pack that a BEV needs uh, to do the range. So from that standpoint, it, it will be less than a BEV, more than a diesel. We do also get the 2,000-pound government weight allotment. Uh, that means we can actually oh, haul natural gas. Yeah, yeah. Get the net gas weight along. So now we, we can actually have a GVW of or gross vehicle weight of uh, 82,000 pounds as opposed to 80. So uh, more to come on that. But uh, yeah. but, you know, there is a, a weight penalty uh, because of the, the additional components, but not as bad as some of the other solutions. Can you scale down the hydrogen? I mean, the natural gas tankage? Yeah. You've got four on the truck we drove. Could you get away with two or three if you're... You, yeah. operating range was such you absolutely can and you hit okay. the nail on the head so we've kind of the vehicle you just drove and the vehicle that we're first bringing to market is kind of it's the bells and whistles right i mean it's got the biggest natural gas storage tanks uh and so from that standpoint you know that's what's allowing us to get that up to like a thousand miles of range but not all fleets are going to need that so we can go mm -hmm. to uh you know this truck has a 175 dge we could go to a 135. There's tanks, I think, as small as uh, 60 or 65 DGE diesel gallon equivalents. So if a fleet is more weight sensitive, we can just scale down the size of the tanks. Yep. And I suppose if you look at it this way, if you want 
all the advantages of a BEV, a couple of natural gas storage tanks give you 75 miles, give or take, of BEV operation. So if you're in a non-attainment zone like California yeah. and they don't want emissions trucks, you've got 75 miles worth of non-emissions operation, right? Yeah, yeah. So just in the batteries, we have 75 miles. And then anything in the nat gas tanks is above and beyond that. What do you use for the natural gas engine? What's your power plant under the hood right now? So we're using the, the Cummins engine. The go-to-market solution is the 12-liter Cummins engine. So okay. this isn't a brand new engine. This is one that has uh, been on the market. And we've actually been working with Cummins on uh, the big you know, undertaking right now is we're going through the, uh, the CARB certification process. And so before we bring this into production, we obviously need that cert. Um, we announced a handful of months ago that we're actually jointly doing it with Cummins, which has been a big help because Cummins is, you know, they, they know engines inside and out. It is their engine at the end of the day. And so, uh, so we're going through that process right now. Will the 15 liter, their new 15 liter be coming on board when it's ready to go? Yeah, so our plan will be to evolve with the Cummins portfolio. Okay. And so uh, we're working with them. They're still, uh, they haven't come out with all the details yet of kind of when engines are going to be changed and new ones are coming online. But uh, our plan will be just, we'll continue to evolve with the Cummins portfolio. Yep. And then as we go forward, we'll even bring in our own generator in the car now. So the truck I drove today was a Peterbilt 579. Mm -hmm. uh, I see a bunch of uh, Cascadia, P4 Cascadias out there all suited up. Uh, those obviously are two OEMs that you're in league with so far. How are the rest of them coming along? Are they uh, signed up for uh, this new powertrain? Yeah, so uh, with our hybrid system, we've actually installed that on all the major truck OEMs. So both Packard brands, Peterbilt Kenworth, and then Freightliner, Volvo, Navistar as well. With the hypertruck system, we're actually going to go to market on the Peterbilt 579. Okay. And uh, we've been able to develop great relationship with Peterbilt. Some of the questions you were asking around, you know, how are the credits going to work? Uh, Peterbilt has been fantastic to work with to kind of go through all that, right? Because there's, there's hurdles like, uh, you know, in order for the credit to go to the OEM, the v the OEM has to put the final VIN on the vehicle. Like there's, there's it's things to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's complicated. Uh, yeah. It's not the most streamlined thing, uh, you know, in the beginning. So, uh, so we've been able to work through a lot of that with Peterbilt still going through that process and working with them on how do we get the trucks kind of built best uh, to be able to be ready to have a Hylion system installed? Now, uh, for anyone in the industry, you know, you know, the way this process works is you start with, you buy full vehicles from the OEM, you tear all the stuff off and you put your system on. That's how everyone starts. And then you get into a point where the OEM starts decontenting the truck and shipping it to you. Then you get to, they'll put some of the components on for you and then eventually you get to being online. So our goal is to follow that same progression with uh, okay. with Peterbilt and the other OEMs and um, start at mod centers for upfits as well. Uh, that's something that we, we plan on doing. And uh, and then long-term goal is this is an online solution. So if I wanted to buy one today, the ERX truck today, who do I talk to, Peterbilt or you? Good question. So to launch, we're going to be, Hylion will be the one selling the complete asset. Okay. Uh, and so... Uh, you come to Hylion and uh, and we'll uh, we'll go through the process with you. Uh, we uh, we set out the sales team to to um, fulfill the first 200 orders uh, earlier this year, and uh, they came back oversubscribed on it, which was always good. Nice. So we nice booked problem out. to have. Yeah, no, it's the fleet interest has been it's good, uh, and even actually it's it's growing as fleets see some of the hurdles with other electric solutions. They're now saying, oh well, that Hylion solution doesn't have that problem. So no, that that's worked out well. But 
Um, so initial trucks will be sold through us, and then eventually we'll work to actually moving the model to where we'll sell the powertrain to the OEM, and then the OEM will just have us as a data book option. Uh, one last question, Thomas, and I'll let you go. Uh, Hylion started life as an electric trailer maker. You had an electric axle under a trailer. You thought a little extra propulsion, propulsion push it up the hill. Uh, conversations I've had recently with the transportation refrigeration manufacturers, they're ripping their hair out, kind of figure out how they're going to get enough energy to drive a truck reefer. Yep. Are you going to get back into the game <laughs> anytime soon to help those folks out? So we haven't put it back on our product roadmap officially. Now, okay. uh, we do own many of the patents that are in that you space. You heard it though. here first, folks. <laughs> uh, so no, we, we have many patents in that area, but, uh, Powering reefers, I think, is something we want to participate in long term, whether that even just be like if you look at the hyper truck, there's no reason why we can't supply electricity from our natural gas generator back to the reefer to power it. Or maybe down the road, we uh, we, we break out one of the uh, the yeah. trailer axles from uh, uh, from a while back. We still got one of them out in the uh, the shop, <laughs> uh, the, the original. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it, it's a. Um, we, we obviously still see value there, and, uh, and you know, we feel like we got pretty good coverage on the IP side. Great. Well, Thomas, thanks for the, uh, sharing your insights with us. Thanks for coming here, driving the truck. Hopefully it was a good experience. Don't forget to subscribe to Heavy Duty Trucking's YouTube channel and give us a like. That helps other people find the content you just enjoyed. Check out our other social media channels, too. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And remember, there's lots of great written content about the trucking industry on our website, truckinginfo.com. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for watching.